Hello and welcome to Put Your Right Foot Forward podcast with Dr. Danny Aronovitz. Each week we get to the heart of what it looks like to do the right thing in podiatry, medicine, and life. We're interviewing physicians in various fields who are doing the right thing for patients as they treat them and help them with health issues. We get real about medical issues, how to work with everyone who walks through our doors, and how to use our experiences to inform every area of our practice. Some of our episodes won't have a medical slant and are inspiring in their own right. These stories will reset your compass to be more aligned with people who are doing the right thing. Get ready to get to the soul of your practice with Dr. Danny Aronovitz on another episode of Put Your Right Foot Forward podcast. Welcome everybody to another day and another beautiful day here and we're back at Put Your Right Foot Forward podcast. I have a very special guest this afternoon. Um, We talked early on in our podcast how these are supposed to inspire us to do the right thing, to be the right kind of person. Well today I have one of my inspirations on the line. I am chatting with Dr. Marvin Aronovitz, my father. And Dr. Aronovitz is currently in Florida and I'm in Michigan, but I wanna share him with my audience, you guys out there. Uh, This is somebody who has always put his right foot forward and has inspired me to be the person that I am. Uh, Dad, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure for me to be here. That's great. just so everybody knows that um, I am a podiatrist, as you know, and so is my father. And I think that I tell patients when I see them that if my father had a bakery, I'd probably be a baker by now. Uh, my dad made his job look really fun to me, and uh, it was just really easy to be around patients. He made it seem fun. It looked like he was having a good time, and I thought that this would be a good way for me to make my way through the world, too. And thus far, it has been. Um, Dr. Marvin Aronovitz is from Detroit, Michigan. Um, he was born and raised there. He did his undergraduate work at Eastern Michigan University. He, like myself, also went to the podiatry school in Cleveland at the time that was called the Ohio College of Chiropathy. Dad, can you tell our listeners a little bit about um, how the podiatry college started as chiropathy um, and, and what that meant to you as you were getting into it? Well, it had always been called chiropathy, and only when, when I was a student shortly after I got there, there was a big push to call the school podiatry, causing less of a, a confusing aspect with chiropractors. So that basically, I think, was the thrust for changing the name, and it has stuck, and I think it's made things a little easier for people. Uh, it certainly clearly defines the difference between the two professions. Um, right, I get that. And when you were like contemplating going into podiatry, did you feel like around town and where you were from that there were a lot of podiatrists or not so many? You know, to be honest, I, I didn't think there were very many because I wasn't sure that I wanted to be a podiatrist. It's a funny way this happened. Once I graduated from high school, I went to Eastern Michigan University, as you had said earlier. And in my first year at college at Eastern, my mother, Danny's grandmother, said, what are your plans? I said to her, I'd like to do something with medicine. I don't know what it would be. I don't know what my interests would be. She says, I think that's a great idea. She says, as a matter of fact, I was bowling with a a, a friend. She was bowling with a friend of hers whose cousin was a podiatrist. And she said, why don't you call him, tell him who you are, and go visit him. 
And he was extremely kind, very nice. And I visited him on a, a few occasions. I like what I saw. Uh, I like the way he handled people. I thought he was uh, giving a great service to people. And uh, it, it was a, a choice I've never regretted. Uh, of course, podiatry has grown into a field very different than when I first started. But my impetus was from my mother, actually, getting me interested in seeing this gentleman. And there were not a lot of podiatrists around in Michigan at that time. Right. So she listened to you. She heard what you had to say. And she sent you to somebody. And that person was someone to look up to for you, someone that inspired you. And, and you liked the way that they conducted themselves. Yes, I liked the way he conducted himself. And I liked the profession from uh, of what I knew of it at the time. Uh, because it didn't, you weren't dealing with real sick people for the most part, although we, we do. Uh, I wasn't on call all hours of the night. I wasn't on call at the hospital. Although all those things have now changed as a profession has progressed. It was a real nice, uh, nice experience for me. And I've, I've enjoyed my practice all these years. Right. So for our listeners out there, um, what year did you graduate podiatry school? Uh, 1963 from the Ohio College of Podiatry. Right. So for our listeners out there, this, this was a time in the United States, this profession was really kind of budding at the time. This was a specialty that was just, you know, in its infancy. There was a few key figures that were keeping this, uh, uh, this light lit very brightly and knew which direction they wanted to take it in. And um, there were very few postgraduate training programs uh, at the time. And there was uh, a program in Detroit, Michigan, uh, which my father was uh, lucky enough to interview and, and grab a place in. And Dad, can you tell us a little bit about um, what maybe that did for your career, like having some postgraduate surgical training? Sure, sure. At the time, there were very, very few opportunities for a podiatrist to get extended education in the field of surgery. It was a very difficult thing. Uh, we weren't... Um, we weren't well accepted in the medical community into the hospitals. That was a, a story that I could relate to later. It was a very difficult process, uh, mainly because of the orthopedic community. They didn't want anybody stepping on their toes to say, as to say. But uh, we persevered and went forward. And this was a small hospital in Detroit um, called Civic Hospital. Um, and we saw patients. We had a clinic. We saw patients, ones that needed surgery. We uh, had a surgical suite there. And we were trained by a number of men that had surgical experience. Um, and they, These men obviously kind of knew where they were on the time continuum for their profession. I mean, they must have said, hey, we really have to keep training some, some, uh, some graduates here because... We, this thing's going to catch fire. They really felt it. Did you feel that whole energy as well? Oh, there was a tremendous energy when I first got there. And it was because these men, these pioneers in surgery, they really felt that if you didn't have a surgical background, you just couldn't keep up. You just couldn't do things that other professions would equate to, would understand. Uh, so it was a very important, essential part of our training to train young men, give them the opportunity to have surgical experience, and then they could disseminate that information 
and train other people. And that's how it really began. Yeah. Uh, so there was, there was a couple people in this, in this nucleus and they were kind of putting their right foot forward. They were doing the right thing. They were training people. And as, as I look at the history of podiatry um, from that nucleus, you sent practitioners all over the country to run different surgical residency programs. And the word was spreading really, really quickly. And you guys shared information, you shared techniques, um, you had weekend retreats at, at people's homes to share slides and information on, on new surgeries and, and, and new techniques that you wanted for your colleagues to grasp. It was really uh, a fraternity-like atmosphere, wasn't it? Yes, this um, little hospital that I did my residency at literally trained hundreds of podiatrists around the United States. And uh, it was at the forefront of very progressive surgery and uh, educated these men in doing these procedures. And then they, as Dr. Danny and I alluded to earlier, they went forth and, and helped train other young men. And when we first had this group of men that were graduates from this program, we used to have we, we, the meetings still go on every single year. We have a surgical conference, but it started off by being in Dr. Earl Kaplan's home in Palmer Woods. He housed between 15 and 25 guys uh, every year for, I would say, a half a dozen years with postgraduate information and slides and keeping up, to the, up with the latest techniques. Then we graduated from that to uh, traveling around the country and staying at hotels and had a Wednesday to Sunday seminar every year. And uh, that's how the profession disseminated information. That's how people got to learn the latest procedures in podiatry. Right. And early on when we practiced together before you had retired, I saw you, your interaction with residents at the hospital and the, the training continued and you bring surgical cases and, and um, residents participate in those cases and we train them. And even though the, the training and the techniques and the surgeries were getting bigger and uh, the equipment was becoming more robust, there's probably still a lot of common pillars that you rely on to stay relevant with young residents, trying to get them to do the right thing. Because a lot of the training isn't just the technique, it's, it's teaching them how to be kind to people and how to say the right thing. So even though the training may have started to get too technical for you, what, what things do you think you relied on to, that you wanted to, to feed information to these young residents? That's a, you know, that's a very, very good question. It's a very detailed question. But basically, I wanted to teach these guys to treat people as people, not look at them as dollar signs. And it was very important for me to have them come to my office to show them how we treated people, how my staff treated people. And anybody could be taught to do surgery but you're dealing with a human element that you have to take care of. And they have all kinds of different complex sides to themselves. So you have to be a good listener. You have to sit. You can't rush through things. So these are the simple things that people forget about. And everybody wants to be treated with kindness. And you can't forget that. Um, it's very important to treat people. I know it's been said a million times the way yeah. you want to be treated. And it's a very important principle that you, I think you can't fail if you remember. Yeah. That. One of the first things you, you told me is that 
if you're working somebody up for some type of treatment plan or a surgery and they're sitting in your chair in your office, and if you think about that patient as someone in your family, you told right. me I'd rarely make a wrong mistake or do the wrong thing for them. And I, I tell that to residents today, and I still think that that holds true. I think that holds true too. Listen, uh, getting back to the mistakes, everybody makes mistakes. Some surgeries fail, but it's not because you aren't compassionate or that you didn't have a plan for them and you go over all these things and they have to understand that there are failures. If you do enough surgery, you're going to have failures, just like you have in life and you learn from those. Yeah. But taking care of the patient the right way, I think they understand those kind of things and you're far better off being a kind, compassionate, understanding physician. And and all of these people that are listening to this podcast know what I'm saying. They can go to an office, whether it be a podiatry or general medical office, if they're treated in these huge practices as a number and only seen by uh, the nurse and they're rushed by the doctor, it's not a good feeling. It's not a comfortable feeling. Yeah. I, I rarely, rarely pass the patient off without thorough discussion of understanding with the problem they had so that they know what they were getting into. And I think it pays dividends in life to have that kind of communication with people. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I wanna ask you, and please tell our listeners out there, you practiced for 42 years. 44. 44, excuse me. Yeah. I, I wanna know, how do you stay fresh for 44 years? How did, you, how did you stay interested? How did you, what were you telling I, yourself? I, th I think the key thing is, I stayed fresh because I liked what I did. I really liked what I did. Did I have good days and bad days? Of course, everybody does. But I got up every day looking forward to going to my office, interacting with my patients who I miss to this day. And I just felt that I owed them the responsibility of reading, going to surgical conferences, going to postgraduate work, and keeping up with the latest techniques that podiatry had to offer. Right. The, the key is enjoying what you do every day. I could think of nothing worse, whether you're a mechanic or a baker or a doctor, going to work every day and dreading it. You just want to go there, put your time in and leave and don't do anything else. Well, right. that's, that's not what I, what I did. I was lucky to find something that I thoroughly enjoyed. And I must tell your audience that I never – I never really forced any of my kids into the professions that they're doing. Like my office was open. It was always open. We talked about it and they made their own choices. So I wanted to make sure that they were going to like what they did every day also. Yeah, that's true. I can attest to that. Um, when I joined the practice and we started doing maybe different kinds of surgeries or using equipment that maybe hadn't been in your armamentarium, how, what was your feeling about how that was assimilating to the practice? Things that weren't in my armamentarium, did you say? Yeah, maybe there was different. I was, thrilled. I was thrilled that you came along after your residency and had new surgical te techniques and new ideas. I didn't want to do those. I didn't want to do those surgeries. I, I, I was thrilled to have somebody that was capable. And a very important thing that I must tell you and your audience is that Many partnerships fail 
because the younger man is not given the opportunity to express his own ideas, his own feelings, and let them go forth through the patients. The senior doctor has to know that he's hired this man because he feels that he's competent, well-trained. Certainly, if I thought you were going to make a major mistake, which never happened, I would, I would tune in and let you know about it. But I was hands-off. I never had a problem with any of these things, and I think that's a good thing for any of your listeners that may be thinking about having an associate, whether it be a business associate or a doctor as an associate. You're hiring this person because you feel confident that this person is competent in what they're going to do. There's, yeah. no sense, there's no sense hiring a person and micromanaging everything they do. No question okay. about it. There was many father-son podiatry practices in the Detroit metropolitan area that they yes. didn't end up getting along. And I think, you know, that you were so embellishing towards the, towards me being in the practice and some of the ideas that I uh, wanted to implement, I think that helped a lot. But I think that as I practiced, I also reversed that and listened a lot and, you know, had great respect for the experiences uh, that you had and what you brought uh, to the equation. So I think both parties have to be a little embellishing. And I, I think that, I think that we pr did pretty good with that. We did great with it. Yeah. It, just as in life, it's that's, give and take. That's if it's true. A, if it's a one way street in anything you do, the one way street doesn't work all the time. So yeah. you have to be flexible in life. So, agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Um, where do you see the profession going forward now? Do you see any major changes for it? Uh, gosh, you know, the practice today is so unlike what I first started with, but the practices are, uh, there's uh, many doctors in single practices. There's huge practices now. The resident training programs now are three years long. Yeah. Three years long. A guy has to be so, or a girl, or a woman, I'm sorry, has to be so dedicated to their profession to spend that kind of time just in training. So from that standpoint, the young podiatrist coming out is far, far superior to what I was when I came out. Their background, their knowledge, their exposure, their, just their basic training is so far superior. The profession, I think, is probably on to, a pun on good footing because of the young people. Uh, it certainly has changed with the uh, insurance benefits and third party interested in what you're doing every minute. Those are things you can't help. But I think the, the dietary profession as a whole is on vi a very sound ground and uh, well-respected. They're in every major hospital now and in the country almost. Uh, I know the Detroit area has opened up almost every hospital that I can think of. When I first started, there weren't any of the major hospitals that would accept you except working in their clinic. You couldn't do surgery. That's true. That's a major change now. They're, they're on staffs of every hospital. Right. Yeah, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think we are on good footing. And I, I think going forward, I, I think it's going to be a very um, good profession for people. And I think it's a profession that remembers its history and uh, hopefully that uh, those of us that are still training residents are doing all the same things that our predecessors uh, have done. I know that when I'm training uh, residents in the hospital now, so many of the things that I teach them that maybe aren't surgical, 
have really been passed down to me from you and other people of your generation. And um, the residents are, are willing to listen to those things. And I, I think they're, they're stories that are worth being told. And uh, we're, we're trying, as you said, not just to get somebody trained who can technically do everything. We want someone to be a human being, do the right thing for their patients, uh, be a, a key component uh, in the in the world and in the medical community that they're going to serve. Um, I, think, I think also, if I may interject, sure. I think that all the major places that podiatrists are working in hospitals uh, also have a clinic where foot care is administered by the residents. So they they are getting well trained on how to run an office and and those kinds of things that are so important. It's not all surgery. Um, so th that is a terrific advantage to have a clinic in your hospital training podiatrists on the management uh, and interaction of a hospital, of, of a office setting. For sure. So let me ask you this question. If you had a chance at the age that you are at now, which is 80. 80. 80, I know. And if you had a chance to tell your younger self as a 25-year-old or a 30-year-old, and give yourself some advice, what would you say to your younger self? What would I say to my younger self? I would say to my younger self, work hard enough to take care of your family, educate your children, make sure you're there for them whenever they need it, and love them as much as you can. That's great. Yep, that's it. That's all there is. That's, that's all you have. That's all you have is your family and you want to leave a good name and you want that family to continue on. It's not a problem for most people to have a child, but the problem is educating them by example and they see what you do. They, they hear what you say. And those are the things that make good people. So that's great. That's I have a couple, only, I have a couple rapid fire questions for you. Okay. Your favorite sport. Golf. Your favorite food? Steak. The last or best last book that you read? Uh, the last book I read, don't know. I can't remember. I read so many, I read so many books. I like, I, I, I like fiction. So All right. I, I like about best vacation spot? Best vacation spot. Well, there are so many of those, but I had a, for many, many years, I had a little cabin up in Northern Ontario, and it was a wonderful respite for me. Got away for a week or two, and there was no one to answer to. Never had a phone till a few years ago, and it was a wonderful escape. Uh, of course, it's not for everybody to enjoy, but I enjoyed that. Right. Well, listeners, I, I, I think that this conversation is pretty self-explanatory. I am trying to do what I want to get across to listeners and to people in my podcast because of the person we've been speaking to for the last 25 minutes. Um, Dr. Marvin Aronovitz has been so influential in my life and has been such a big inspiration. And I think you can hear by the tone of the conversation that he's someone who has put his right foot forward. He tried to raise his kids and, and to influence the people around him to do the same thing. And uh, I think it, uh, at a great percentage, he's done that. And uh, we will continue to find people like Dr. Marvin Aronovitz, and we will try to bring them forth in the podcast and 
Dad, this has been really a pleasure, and I'm really glad to share you with my audience. I want to thank you for participating in this today. Danny, thank you. Uh, thank you so very much for asking me. It was really a treat for me, and uh, I love you, and I'll talk to you. Okay, and that okay. does it for us. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Put Your Right Foot Forward podcast. Remember, when you see the door of opportunity to do the right thing, walk through it. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and review the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you get your episodes. Thanks for listening and have an amazing day.